today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. What Luke is showing us here is the heart of these people that realized and, and, and they acted on the very fact that all that they had, everything that they had, it was the Lord's. All that we have, everything that we have, God has given us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father in heaven. All that you have is the Lord's. Now, what would you do if the Lord directed you in a way such as this. What would you do if he said, hey, I want you to sell that extra piece of property because there's a need here. Do you realize that everything you have is God's? Pastor David reminds you today that Christ has given everything to you as a gift. Could you handle it if God asked you to sell everything you have or asked you to give it away? Wow, that would be hard. We are selfish creatures. We like our possessions a lot. What if he just asked you to give your time or talents? We need to be like Jesus, selfless, compassionate, and always looking out for others. Remember that everything you've been given is His. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Acts, chapters 4 and 5, as he begins his message, The NT Church, not to be trifled with. We are in the book of Acts, the book of Acts as we've been going through this journey. Now, we've spoken about the fact that it is, uh, in your Bibles it says it is the Acts of the Apostles. We spoke about early on in this series. Now I believe it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We only see really the workings of two apostles, Peter and, and Paul by and large, and there's others that are mentioned, but by and large, those two. But we see the work of the Holy Spirit moving from the very beginning. It's not a rare case. It's not an unknown case to be able to hear someone say, oh, I wish we lived in the New Testament times. Oh, I wish our church was a New Testament church. And I understand where that feeling comes from because by and large, we think that that New Testament church, that early church, was perfect. It was pristine, that it was filled with signs and wonders. We read from the Word that literally there were times that thousands came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Man, who wouldn't want to be there for that? But the problem is, is we forget, though, that the church of the first century was also under great persecution, extreme persecution. First of all, the Jews didn't like the Christians, because by and large, if Christianity was right, they were wrong. 
If Christianity was right, then the leaders of Judaism understand, no, they were responsible for murdering their own Messiah. So the Jews did not like Christianity. Christianity was moving away from the things of the law, moving out of all the sacrifices of the temple. It was rocking their status quo. But it wasn't just the Jews. The Romans didn't like the Christians either. As a matter of fact, the Romans talked about the Christians as being atheists. You think atheists? Yeah, because the Romans worshipped this plethora of gods, all kinds of gods. They had the Greek gods that they pulled into their Roman gods. Even Caesar was a god to be worshipped and, again, uh, adored and, and bowed down to. And the Christians would not bow down to any of them, including the Caesar. And because they didn't bow down to the Caesar, there was a bit of a questionable stance there as far as their political allegiance. In those early centuries, the first and second century, Rome was always under the concern that someone was going to come in to to do away with their empires, either an internal revolution that would start or an external war that would come in. And since the Christians wouldn't bow down or swear their allegiance to Caesar, then they were of the utmost, uh, again, suspect. Now, it's what, what started out as an inconvenience to the Jews, what started out as kind of a curiosity to the Romans, soon became this full-blown persecution. And in the midst of that persecution, we find that individuals were shunned by their families. Your son becomes a Christian? Ha, huh, forget it, we're Jews. We're not Christians. You're no longer a part of our family. As a matter of fact, if you were part of a Jewish family and you became a Christian, you were dead to them. They would literally have a funeral service for you. What happens if your spouse becomes a Christian? You've got to write them off. What happens if your neighbor becomes a Christian? No longer do we speak to them. In the whole area, what happens with Christian businesses and and tradesmen? Suddenly they started losing income because the Jews would no longer come and use their services. Poverty for the Christian church, became a norm very quickly. Uh, And again, we see this tremendous amount of biblical as well as extra-biblical resources that are available to us that speak about all of the problems and the conditions that were going on in the first and in the second century on into the third century. And yet, even in the midst of all of these trials, in the midst of all of these struggles, guess what? The church grew. The church grew. It's absolutely amazing. We see historically, whenever the church is put under great pressure and great trials, guess what? The church actually grows. Some of the fastest growing churches today are in countries where Christianity is outlawed. It's outlawed. And yet we see the church, the underground church, growing powerfully there. Well, as Christianity grew in the area of Jerusalem, the persecution took its toll took its toll on individuals, took its toll on families. And that's the condition that we find the church in as we're moving the last portion of chapter 4 and on into chapter 5. We're going to find that, uh, again, the church in many ways, they're facing great financial loss because of that persecution. And yet there's still some that are within the church that by and large, they, they were still financially stable Things were okay with them, but they also understood within the church that that financial blessing that they had 
was still allowed to them in order that they might be a blessing to the ones that are struggling. And there are other issues that we see growing at that time. Even in the midst of that persecution, we're going to see some that are actually within the church that are still hanging on to, to pride. They're, 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 they're hanging on to greed. Jealousy is a part of their life. And along with those things comes lies and, and deceit. It wasn't enough for the church to have to deal with the issues from outside the church. They were also having to deal with issues that were coming inside the church walls. Guys, it turns out that the New Testament church, that first century church, wasn't nearly as perfect or pristine as some would like to make it. Look with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 4. We've gone through the first portion of Acts 4. We're down to verse 32. Let's begin there this morning. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, that statement there in 32 that... uh, uh Everybody was of the same heart, of the same soul. No one counted his possessions as his own. They all had things in common. You need to understand, that that was in a general sense. That that reflected the church as a whole, but yet we're going to find out very quickly that it was not inclusive of the entire group. There were individuals that were still in the church that, that weren't of one heart or of one soul. And yet, even in the midst of those persecutions, even in the midst of these internal struggles, the message of the cross, the resurrection, the hope of the gospel continues to spread as it says that, again, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great power, great power, great opportunity. Let's look on, verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. So here we are. We see the church taking the teachings of Jesus right to heart. If you remember when we were back in chapter 2 of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, Luke kind of gave us a little bit of a prelude of what's happening here. He said in verse 44 of chapter 2, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions. They sold their goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. So this morning, for those of you that wish that we had a New Testament church, this coming week, I want you to go and sell everything that you have. I want you to sell your house, sell all of your possessions, and next week we're going to have a really special offering, okay? No, not really, okay. Uh, we're not trying to start a cult or anything here. What I, what I want you to see is they were doing this not out of constraint. It wasn't a form of communism. No, it was the reality of a heart where they had things and they saw others around them that didn't. What we see here is a heart of people being led by the Holy Spirit of God to deal with a very real and a very pressing need within their faith community, within their church community. And what Luke is showing us here 
is the heart of these people that realized and, and, and they acted on the very fact that all that they had, everything that they had, it was the Lord's. All that we have, everything that we have, God has given us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father in heaven. All that you have is the Lord's. Now, what would you do if the Lord directed you in a way such as this? What would you do if he said, hey, I want you to sell that extra piece of property because there's a need here? What would you do if he said, hey, I want you to sell that, that stock option or whatever? Would you, would you, and I'm not saying me, no, I'm saying if the Spirit of God came, or are you holding on to those things too tight? Are we today a people who are willing to give of ourselves our time, our talents, and our treasures? Because, beloved, it's more than just finances. It's our, our, our whole life being usable to the Lord and being surrendered to the Lord? Or are you the person who strives and strives to get more in order to build up for yourselves bigger and better barns? We need to remember that parable that Jesus spoke back in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, it was in Luke's Gospel. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. Remember the story of that, again, that that prosperous farmer. Luke tells us about it in chapter 12. Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, I'll be able to bless many people. No, that's not what he thought. What shall I do? I don't have any room to store any more crops. I know. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build bigger and better. And that's where I'll store. I will store. Can we use the word hoard? My, my goods, my crops. And then I'll be able to say to my soul, soul, you're set for life. You can kick back, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Because everything's taken care of. Jesus said, but God said to him, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You need to understand success is not a sin. Riches are not a sin. It's the attitudes of our hearts. It's how we live our lives. And I kind of wonder, as Luke is sharing these events here uh, uh, of the giving and the sharing within the church, if maybe he is reminded again of that parable that he wrote about in his gospel record. We can be so tied up to things, to, to, to wealth, to comfort. and We totally miss the needs of the people that are around us. And more than that, we miss the plan and the purpose of God for us. Our blessings actually then become, they they become a chain around us. We become bound by pride, by greed, by selfishness. It's our pride and it's our greed, it's our selfishness that then becomes the motivators of our lives and not the Spirit of God. We're going to see this played out right here in the book of Acts as Luke shares two different events showing, again, the difference of hearts. Look there in verse 36, still in chapter 4. And Joseph, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, he sold it 
and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Yeah, at the apostles' feet. Yes, this is the same Barnabas that we see later on in Acts in his interaction with the Apostle Paul. The same guy. Here, Luke is introducing him for the first time in the book of Acts. And you need to understand, Luke isn't presenting Barnabas as some super saint. The simple reality is, is apparently he had a piece of land. It doesn't say that this was his only piece of land or that it was his best piece of land. He simply had a piece of land and he sold it and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet for the disbursement wherever the need might be. He very possibly had other land. He very probably had a house that he still lived in. It doesn't say that he sold everything that he had. However, in the context of this event and, and the next one that we see in chapter 5, it would seem that whatever amount he sold it for, he gave that full amount to the apostles, to again, once again, to disperse as they saw the need. To put it in today's framework, say he had a piece of land that he sold for $15,000. He brought $15,000, gave it to the church. Say that he had uh, some sort of a, a, a share of stock and he sold it and he made $1,500. He brought that $1,500. Say he sold something on eBay for $500. He brought the 500 It was the intent of his heart. I'm going to sell this and the proceeds of this I'm giving to the Lord through the church for the work of ministry. Whatever it was, he saw the need around him was greater than his need to maintain ownership of that particular possession. Whatever he sold it for, he had already predetermined in his heart that the proceeds of that sale, all of the proceeds, would go back to the Lord through the ministry of the apostles. Guys, this, this is a great attitude. This, this is the heart attitude that I believe that the Lord wants all of us to have. And I believe that God is honored through that action. Now we move into this second section, a similar action, but a totally different heart and totally different results. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man by the name of Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's no doubt as we look at the whole story here of Ananias and Sapphira. They, they probably saw the actions of Barnabas. They probably saw the actions of Barnabas and perhaps some others. How, again, they, they, they came and they gave just out of a giving heart. They probably had heard the whispers of, of praise. Oh, that Barnabas, isn't he a, a great guy, man? He loves the Lord so much. What a great heart Barnabas has in giving. Barnabas wasn't doing this for praise, but people kind of go that way when they see people giving selflessly. Well, they had this possession they, 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 they were going to be able to sell it, and I believe that that's what they were looking for. They were looking for the praise of men. And again, Luke doesn't say that this was their only piece of land. He doesn't, he, he doesn't say that this is their most valuable possession. He doesn't even say how much they sold it for. But somewhere in the mix, either before they sold it, or maybe after they saw, wow, we made that much out of that piece of land. Maybe they're expecting to make so much and they made actually more. Maybe that's when the scheme started turning. Well, we don't need to give all of this to the Lord. 
Do we? Somewhere in the mix, both husband and wife determined that they were not just hold back some, but they were going to lie about it. And beloved, that's where the problem comes in, where they lied about the, the, the amount that they were giving. It's at this point, it was still within their ability to be able to come and say, hey, Peter, we sold this piece of land. We made 20000 We're going to keep 10000 for ourselves to take care of some stuff, but we want to give 10000 to the church. Perfectly normal, perfectly legit, absolutely no issue. But we're going to find out that that's not the case. Apparently, they pretended to sacrifice the entire amount to the Lord for the needs within the church. And it's at this point in the formation of the church that God was not going to have it. To hold back a portion, that's not the problem. But to lie about it, particularly in order to gain some sort of favor or praise for man. Do you see the picture here? They're not looking for praise or favor with God at this point. They're looking for praise or favor from man. That's, therein is the problem. Look at verse 3. Peter said, they'd come and they brought the money in. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. Can you see again? It's not the amount. It's all about the lie. It's all about the deception. It appears that as soon as Ananias came and brought the money in, you know, probably with that expectation that people are going to say, ooh, Ananias, man, what a spiritual guy you are. But as soon as he brought in, laid the money in, it would seem as though it was almost immediate that the Holy Spirit gave a word of knowledge to the Apostle Peter, something that he could not have known about prior to this. There's so many dynamics that are going on here, but apparently there were others uh, of the church there when Ananias came and brought that money. We know in verse 6 that there were some young men in, in the area or in the room. In verse 2, clearly we know his wife was in full agreement with his whole plan of deceit. And as Peter says these words to Ananias, can you imagine Ananias' heart coming right up to his throat? It's like, whoa, how did he know that? He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Somehow, someway, Ananias' scheme had been found out. And as Peter declares that out loud, now everybody in the church hears it. Ananias came in for the praise of man. Now he's being exposed to man. Peter makes it very clear, though, that Ananias had had a choice. He says, you could have done whatever you wanted. But we see here, because of sin, that sin of pride, that sin of envy of what had happened with Barnabas and perhaps others, that greed, that jealousy, all of those things, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be looked on as spiritual and as, as, as giving individuals. And yet they were neither one of those things. And so they purposed in their heart together to lie. Peter asked Ananias, why is the spirit, or why has Satan 
filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I believe the answer to that question is very clear. Satan, I believe, received permission to come into the heart of Ananias when Ananias didn't allow his heart to be completely filled by the Holy Spirit. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for The Open Word.